Those who read and study the Bible find their lives enriched and enlightened by the divine guidance they discover within its pages. But that doesn't mean they don't trip up on a question or two now and then. Today we're going to take a look at a few questions we often receive about the Bible and show you how to determine solid answers straight from God's Word. So stay right here for today's program, Your Questions, The Bible's Answers. Greetings and welcome to Tomorrow's World, where we help you make sense of the world through the pages of your Bible. If you're a regular viewer of our program, you know that we base everything we teach on God's Word, the Bible. When Jesus Christ prayed to His God the night before His crucifixion, He asked His Father to set His followers apart from the world around them, saying, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. God's Word is the truth. No other source of knowledge reflects the very mind of the Creator like the Bible. And the answers to life's greatest questions are found in its pages. But that doesn't mean that every part of it is easy to understand. In fact, some things we read in the Bible can be confusing, but the answers are there, waiting for the diligent student with God's help to find them. Today we're going to tackle a potpourri of three Bible questions that students of God's Word sometimes ask, and we're going to show you the Bible's own answers to those questions. In addition, we're going to give you the opportunity to request one of our most amazing free offers, the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course. Be sure to watch the screen throughout the program for the information you need to begin your own study course. As for today's Bible Q&A, here are the questions we will address. Does Jesus Christ command Christians to hate their family members? Exactly how did Judas Iscariot die? And why are there souls under the altar in the book of Revelation? First, let's begin by reading a passage that generates questions among many and see what the Bible has to say about it. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, where Jesus is teaching a great multitude. There, He tells them, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be My disciple. Now, regarding this verse, many have asked, does Jesus really command Christians to hate their family members? Of course, the idea that Jesus is literally commanding His followers to hate their mother, father, and others would indeed be contrary to many of His other teachings. Whenever you come across an apparent contradiction like this in the Bible, it should always grab your attention because the Bible, including Jesus' teachings, never contradicts itself. Christ makes this point Himself in John chapter 10 and verse 35, reminding the Jewish leaders in His audience at that time that the Scripture cannot be broken. So just what is He saying here in this passage? In understanding the Bible, it's important to understand the context surrounding the verse instead of just reading the isolated verse. When we do this in the case of Luke 14, it's clear here that He is explaining the high standards that His followers must meet. Rather than a come-as-you-are policy, Jesus demands that people change in order to follow Him and that they commit their lives to Him fully. 
In verse 27 of the same chapter, for instance, Jesus explains that one must be willing to bear his own cross to be one of Christ's disciples. Not a literal cross, but bearing the burden of persecution, difficulty, discomfort, and trial, even to death, just as Christ did. He says in verse 33 that his followers must be willing to forsake all that they possess, willing to give up anything else in their lives and even their own lives themselves for his sake, or else they cannot be his disciples at all. These passages give context for the message Jesus is trying to convey. He's telling the multitudes and us that we must consider Him the most important part of our lives versus all of the natural loves, comforts, and possessions we otherwise have. He's not commanding His disciples to literally hate their family members. Consider earlier in the book of Luke in chapter 6, where He commands Christians to love even their enemies. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Why would Jesus command us to love our enemies and those who would seek to do us harm while commanding us to hate our family members? Of course He wouldn't. The phrasing in Luke 14, 26 is one of contrast, not objective hate. Jesus is saying that to be His disciple, one must be willing to put Jesus Christ first before even one's most natural affections toward parents, spouse, or children. We see this even more easily by applying another principle of understanding the Bible. Look at multiple witnesses to the same event or teaching. For example, this same teaching is worded in a clarifying way by the Gospel writer Matthew in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In fact, those who do give their lives to Jesus Christ find that they don't love their families less than they did before. Instead, they love them more. They discover that putting God as the highest priority in your life helps set all other priorities right. So no, He is not literally commanding us to hate our families, but He is warning us that we must love Him more, more even than our families and even more than our very lives. With God's help, understanding the Bible is not hard, but it does take work. Instruction from a proven, trustworthy source can make it easier. That's why I'm excited today to offer you the opportunity to request Lesson 1 of our free Tomorrow's World Bible Study course. This free Bible study course is designed to teach you what the Bible teaches on scores of topics. Not what man's ideas or theories or interpretations say, but what the Word of God itself says. The whole course is 24 lessons long, each with four parts, and every single lesson is absolutely free. If you request your own course today, we'll send you Lesson 1, The Bible, A Book for Today. When you finish that, we'll send you the next three lessons designed to give you the Bible's own keys for understanding the inspired prophecies of Holy Scripture for yourself. Subsequent free lessons cover topics such as the Biblical Holy Days, how to grow spiritually, the tools of biblical fasting and prayer, what God is really like, the mysterious origins of today's civilization, and so much more. 
You can progress at your own pace and you can cancel at any time. This course is designed to serve you and I can't imagine a better way to revitalize your relationship with God's Word than to dive into this beautiful free Bible study course by ordering the first lesson. Take a moment to order right now and I'll be right back as we tackle our next question, exactly how do we fill out Judas' death certificate? You don't want to miss it. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Call toll-free now or write to us at the address on your screen or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. To request today's free informative offer, no cost, no obligation, call toll-free now or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Welcome back. Our next question is one that puzzles many when they read the accounts of Judas's death and the beginning of the biblical church. Exactly how did Judas Iscariot die? You might recall that Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' 12 apostles who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And on first glance, the Bible's comments about Judas's death might seem to be contradictory. Let's take a look at two key statements and see if we can make sense of them. In Matthew chapter 27, we read that after Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he was remorseful and tried to give the money back to his conspirators, but the priests would not accept. Verse 5 tells us, Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The priests felt the money was tainted as blood money and would not accept it presumably leaving it in Judas's name, and Matthew says applying it sometime later to buy a field in which strangers could be buried. However, while Acts 1 and verse 18 speaks of the field purchased with Judas's money, it seems to describe a different fate for the traitor. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. The fields being purchased with Judas's money is consistent, but falling headlong and bursting in the middle does not sound like a hanging. How do we reconcile the accounts? Now, as we've noted before, anytime we see what appears to be different accounts of the same facts or circumstance in the Bible, there's no need to assume a contradiction. Indeed, Jesus tells us that the inspired Word of God does not contradict itself. Rather, the multiple accounts act as multiple witnesses, each adding its own detail to the overall picture. For instance, consider the sign that was nailed above Jesus' head while He was crucified. Depending on which of the four Gospels you read, you get a different report concerning what the sign said. Matthew says the sign reads, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Mark writes that the sign reads, the King of the Jews. Luke reports that it reads, 
This is the King of the Jews, and was written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Finally, John writes that Pilate's sign read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Do the Gospel writers contradict each other? Not at all. In fact, not only do they say essentially the same thing, but also when we put all of them together, we get a fuller picture. One of a sign reading, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Similarly, the accounts of Judas's death are not in contradiction when they're read as two accounts that work together to make for a fuller picture. Judas did indeed hang himself out of guilt and shame, but as his body hung there, his corpse did what corpses do and began to decompose. Eventually, it fell from the rope, struck the ground, and burst open. A terrible, loveless end for the traitor who betrayed the Messiah. Again, when you understand that the Bible does not contradict itself, but does give multiple witnesses to provide a larger picture, the problem resolves itself. If you want more confidence yourself in handling Bible difficulties and being able to explain the meaning of God's Word to others and to understand it yourself, then you need today's free resource, our 24-lesson Bible study course. Order today and you'll receive Lesson 1. When you've finished, we'll send you the next three lessons and their subsequent lessons in collections of four until you have all 24 lessons, all completed at your own pace and on your own time schedule. I know how you might feel. You might want to study your Bible more, but you don't know where to begin. Next thing you know, another year has passed and your Bible study goals are still incomplete. Or you may already be studying your Bible regularly. You want to deepen your understanding of God's Word and comprehend biblical truths that have been hidden from you until now. This course is designed with you in mind, taking you by the hand and thoroughly showing you the answers to life's great questions from the pages of your own Bible, one question at a time. Believe it or not, the entire 24-lesson course is completely free. We here at Tomorrow's World are financially supported by the members of the Living Church of God and its co-workers around the world, and all of our resources, whether print, digital, or multimedia, are already paid for and always absolutely free, with no cost or obligation. Jesus Christ demanded of those who preach His Word, freely you have received, freely give. Other preachers may not take His commands seriously, but you have my word, we do. Take a moment to order Lesson 1 for yourself, and I'll be right back to discuss our next question, where we examine what appears to be the worst apartment complex in the entire Bible. Don't go away. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. For our next question, let's look at Revelation 6, starting in verse 9. Here in John's vision of God's realm in heaven, we have an odd description. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer 
until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. So many ask, why are these mysterious souls under the altar in John's vision? After all, does this mean that people will live in heaven under an altar until Jesus' return? That would certainly seem a very odd afterlife. Thank you for your faithfulness and sacrifice in the name of Christ. Here's your apartment under an altar. To understand this portion of John's vision, we need to first understand that the book of Revelation is a mixture of literal description and symbolism. For instance, Revelation 8 verses 6 through 13 describe ecological disasters that will come upon the earth before Christ's return. That is plain and literal. Yet chapter 6 describes events such as religious deception, war, famine, and pestilence, depicted as four horsemen riding horses of different colors, clearly a symbolic picture. In this case, the symbolism of the souls under the altar would be easily understood by those familiar with the first century sacrifices in Herod's temple in Jerusalem, as the Apostle John surely was. When an animal was sacrificed, the blood of the sin sacrifice would be poured at the base of the altar and pool there. We actually read a description of this design in Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 7. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the souls seen in John's vision occupy the same place at the altar as the blood of animals sacrificed for sins. And indeed, Revelation 6 and verse 9 tells us that the voices represented innocents whose blood had been spilled because of their faithfulness to God's word. Their slaying is a part of a terrible time of suffering still to come on the earth, the prophesied great tribulation. To complete the symbolism, consider the tale of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. After wicked Cain slays his innocent brother Abel, God confronts him, saying, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So just as the spilled blood of innocent Abel cried out to God, the spilled blood of God's saints in the tribulation to come will cry out for vengeance, symbolized here as coming from the base of the altar. So no, the Bible does not teach that the souls of martyrs somehow consciously live on in some sort of underground apartment complex under an altar in heaven. We want to conclude today with some broader lessons we've learned through these questions and look at how we can apply them in our Bible study going forward. But first, let me pause one more time to give you an opportunity to request today's outstanding free resource, the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course. This course consists of 24 full lessons, each in four parts, planned by one of the most knowledgeable and insightful Bible teachers I have ever known, longtime pastor, evangelist, and Tomorrow's World presenter, the late John Aguin. When you order today, we'll send you Lesson 1 completely free of charge. And as you study through the course, every remaining lesson is also free. All 24 in the whole collection, absolutely free with no strings attached whatsoever and cancelable at any time. It is frankly challenging to describe how thorough, 
yet how plain and understandable this Bible study course really is. You'll learn in depth what God's Word has to say about how to understand Bible prophecy, how to identify the end times before Christ's return, what God is really like, the reason you were born, the real origin of human civilization, the meaning of the kingdom of God and the gospel, the identity of the church Jesus Christ built, what the biblical holy days reveal about salvation, the truth about biblical tithing, healing and divine laws of health, why Christians experience trials and hardship, the secrets to having a godly marriage and family, how to experience the power of prayer and grow spiritually, how to build real and living faith, and so much more. What's more, you won't be studying the advice of self-help gurus or writers with a book to sell. Your answers will come straight out of the Bible itself, God's mind in print. And as always, with the materials we offer on Tomorrow's World, the entire course is absolutely free. Whether you've never cracked open a Bible before or have found it mysterious or intimidating, or whether you're a longtime Bible reader who's looking for a structured approach to help you understand God's mind even better, this free course was designed for you. Order Lesson 1 right now to give it a try yourself, and I'll be right back to highlight the lessons we've learned as we've tackled today's Bible questions. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Call toll-free now or write to us at the address on your screen or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. To request today's free informative offer, no cost, no obligation, call toll-free now or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Welcome back. I've enjoyed putting this episode together for you, and I hope it's been profitable. There's a great comfort in seeing the Bible as a reliable source of truth, trustworthy in all it says, because it has so much more to say than any history book or philosophy book that mankind has ever created. It answers the deepest questions of life, provides the only true hope of our lives, and points us to the very source of life, our Creator God. That's part of what makes today's free offer, the 24-lesson Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course, such a special resource. It helps to lay out this book, which is such a mystery to so many, in a way that isn't intimidating and makes plain the answers to our most important questions. I simply know of no better tool to help you understand your Bible. And whether you take only the first lesson or all 24, the entire course is completely free. On today's program, we've answered three common Bible questions. First, does Jesus Christ command Christians to hate their family members? The answer, absolutely not. He's teaching that we need to put Him first, even above those who are closest to us. But if anything, putting Him first, we end up loving them more. Secondly, exactly how did Judas Iscariot die? 
we discovered that when you put the verses together, they paint a larger picture, that he did indeed hang himself in remorse, and then eventually his corpse fell and burst asunder. And then third, why are there souls under the altar in the book of Revelation? We looked into the book and noticed that parts of it were literal and parts of it were symbolic. And we actually tied in other scriptures that described the altar in the temple in Jesus' day and looked at the practices and looked at other examples, such as how the blood of Abel called out to God. In that sense, figuratively, we found that that picture made so much sense. And it's simply the lives of the martyrs and their deaths that call out to God asking for vengeance on their behalf. But actually, when you look at it, we've done more than that. In going through these three questions, we've also illustrated a number of principles that will help you get more out of your Bible and begin making sense of this book, which too many seek to dismiss. We've seen that answering Bible questions involves, for instance, understanding the context around a verse, such as the larger passage, and not just the verse in isolation. We've seen that it helps to understand that there's an additive nature to multiple biblical witnesses in which different statements work together to give us a fuller picture and to clarify the confusions that sometimes human teachers can create. And we've seen that we should strive to examine other scriptures on a related topic, seeking to allow the Bible to explain itself. The Apostle Paul wrote to his young evangelist friend Timothy, reminding him about the power of God's Word in the life of one who believes in the message of Jesus Christ. He points out to him that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should note that the New Testament we have today did not yet exist when Paul wrote those words. So he had in mind primarily the Old Testament. We really do need the whole Word of God, both Old and New Testaments. So don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. A friend of mine was once explaining his appreciation for a preacher he highly admired. And he gave him one of the greatest compliments I think I've ever heard. He said the man knew his Bible as one would know a good friend with whom he had spent much, much time. You can have a relationship with your Bible like that as well. And today's free resource, the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course, can help you on your way. I do hope you'll order your first lesson today. And I hope that you'll come back next week. You'll find that Gerald Weston, Richard Ames, Rod McNair, and I will be here waiting for you. Looking forward to sharing with you the hope of the coming kingdom of God, the inspiring teachings of Jesus Christ, and the vital prophecies of the end times. Again, until we see you next week, may God draw you to a closer walk with Him. Take care. Today's offer is yours absolutely free. No cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Call toll-free now or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. The preceding program is produced by the Living Church of God.
In this world of growing chaos and confusion, as the world becomes more stressful, dangerous, and challenging, as the media portrays false images of the future, you need the solid guidance that comes from your Bible. Gerald Weston, Richard Ames, and I, as well as our guest presenter, Rod McNair, will continue to share with you the revelation of Jesus Christ, the good news of the coming kingdom of God, and the good news of tomorrow's world. So be sure to join us again next week right here at the same time.